0: uh stay curious let your mind just like lead you into unknown and uncharted areas like that's where like really cool and innovative shit happens
1: hello ebc crew our guest of honor today is tion brooks in this episode we take a deep dive into his career and the ins and outs of his journey from academia to industry he's a technologist data scientist and cognitive scientist Tian is currently the director and co-founder of Gotham Data Clinic and has a PhD in psychology from NYU. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. My name is Val. Um, I'm educated in health, uh, psychology, mathematics. I use he, him pronouns and currently being trained in neuroscience. Uh, This week, I am confused about when to wash your car after uh, a snow or an ice storm, (laughs) because we just got through some of those. And I just washed my car today. But it was it was looking really rough and I'm never quite sure like how to gauge when the next one's going to happen. So out of all of the things I could have been confused about, we're back on weather, just like last time you seen. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I'm just drinking water. It's a non gym going day, so I'm just trying to keep up with my hydration. Nothing too crazy on my end.
2: I don't know about cars, like when to wash it, but I definitely have a car wash membership and I'll just like go through it like once a week or more. Depending on like, I don't know. I don't like to have the salt from the roads on my car, like sitting on there. So that's like what I'll kind of keep an eye out for, I guess. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. I got my oil change yesterday and the dealership that I go to gives me a free car wash pass. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna get my car wash now. And like, you might not want to do that. And I'm like, why is that? And they said that the weather, since it's too cold, it's not ideal. So this is anecdotal. They didn't provide any more evidence. So I take that <laughs> as you will.
2: Okay. Didn't know that.
0: Yeah.
3: I don't have a car. Uh, I live in a location where
0: I bike everywhere. So sometimes I just have to worry about getting the salt off my like, bike tires, but that's about it.
1: Yeah. What's the process of that, do you just spray it off?
0: Actually, I don't really do anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there
0: is no process. Just, you know, you just process. Buy, a new,
3: buy a new bike every year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you found a hole in my <laughs> Oh, man. That's one.
2: I don't like my partner, Lulu, she would bike in Boston to work and stuff and it was like throughout the seasons and so it would be really rough like if it was rainy you just get like a line of like road sand on you or mm-hmm. something um but yeah do you have it all tricked out for the weather like the splash guards on your tires and stuff
0: I, I tried doing splash guards before and they've just been unsuccessful because over time they just start to hit the wheel and mm-hmm. actually just like prevent you from wanting to prevent you from biking so I just took them off I just got used to just like my pants just being completely covered in something. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just New York you just learn to deal with a lot of shit. <laughs> Literally figuratively,
3: emotionally. It's figuratively. <laughs> Gotta get on my t-shirt. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh man. Well, I'm Avery. Uh I use they, them pronouns and I am educated in neuroscience in like my undergrad and then now in grad school. Um And then confused about this mic, I was talking to you then not to be all podcasty about it, but I like joined the Zoom and then it wasn't working. And then I joined the Zoom again and it was working, but then I sounded like a chipmunk. And then now I joined and it's fine. And all I did was unplug it and plug it back in. So don't know, but that was confusing. Um, yeah. And then I'm drinking a, a self-made London fog, but I didn't have brown sugar. So I put maple syrup in it and it tastes a little bit off, but it's still good. So I'm happy about it. Yeah.
1: Is this the same London fog mug that comes <laughs> built with the fog from London already in the mug?
2: It is not. I put it in my Yeti. Oh, so that oh the thing that keeps drinking I don't spill hot. it all yeah.
1: over. <laughs>
2: yeah, but this time it's okay because, like, you know, I put oat milk in it and used to, like, I don't know, I frothed it in my French press, <laughs> Heated it to 140 degrees. So it's not like too hot. So it's okay.
3: If you're, you're not messing yeah. around. Yeah. I'm <laughs>
0: No, you can't blame true. the Yeti for if you make this temperature of too hot. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's a fair assessment. It's yeah. doing what it's supposed Only to do. All he's doing is doing his job. That's true. That's true. And
2: it does a good job. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this morning we were studying for one of our classes and I had made tea and it was really hot. And I had taken the lid off and I was just letting it air out um, to cool down. And it was taking a long time because the Yeti is pretty good at retaining heat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who would have thought?
0: Explosion. <laughs> That vacuum gap in between. It just, it just does what it's
3: supposed to do.
2: Yeah. Good stuff.
3: Well, I'm Yasin. Uh, I did my undergrad in bioengineering and then kind of switched routes and currently getting training in neuroscience. My pronouns are he, him. Um, what I'm confused about today is Reddit. I just got one like a month ago and I still don't know how it works. Like I get the whole community aspect and I get that it connects people from different areas pretty well, like on any social media, but it's really confusing to me. So I think I might just have to look on some forum and understand like how to get my stuff up operationally, because I want to promote the podcast. I also want to reach out to other grad students and just like you know be in the loop around things.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I think there's a forum for that. There's a
2: subreddit for Iowa. Like there's a like friends of Iowa or something subreddit
0: that you could put it on. Is there
3: a subreddit for Reddit? Oh, how to
2: Reddit? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I bet
0: you.
3: (laughs) Maybe I need to look on like how to Reddit subreddit. Or Reddit. I don't even know what it's called. (laughs) It's is probably like Meta. (laughs) All right, I'll I'll first go to Meta and see what I can find. (laughs) And report back to y'all in the following episode. (laughs) Um, My drink of choice, uh, it's what I drink for lunch. I'm not currently drinking it, but I've been getting these like prebiotic drinks uh, called Olipop. And so they're fizzy uh, and kind of got fruit flavors and they're supposed to help help your gut health. So instead of soda, I've been drinking Olipop. Help my gut, still get the fizz.
1: What happened to your triple berry breezer, dude? Oh
3: my god. But the the leg, bubbler. The the bubbler oh. has too much caffeine for your boy. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot so, it was caffeine. But it's a guilty pleasure. On my birthday, I did have some coffee. And I felt okay. So who knows? Maybe I can start consuming again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Tian, neither of them neither of them consume caffeine. And so I will like, do you not either? So
0: this is the funny thing. I didn't consume caffeine until the last year of my PhD because i used to work in a coffee shop so that was like my first job after i graduated high school and then i like got so much free coffee that i just found it just like also i was really cheap uh i just found it like impossible for me to just like purchase coffee knowing that i used to get it for free all the time so i just gave up coffee for over (laughs) a decade (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy yeah i respect that that's the reason yeah and then i started back when i was writing my (laughs) dissertation that's
3: the only way i got through it that seems right yeah, I feel I feel that so heavily. I worked at Panera, and the minute I quit, I didn't buy Panera again. I was yeah, like, I am never spending money on this object. Like it's just that's yeah. how it works. Yeah, I was at Ducky Donuts. I don't. I, I wouldn't buy donuts anymore.
0: No coffee. No muffins. <laughs> no ice cream. No. I, I, I'll buy ice cream though. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was attached to a Baskin Robbins. It was a Baskin Robbins Donuts. Oh shoot. Um... Best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> the tea of stuff. tranquility, one of my favorite ice creams. Well, I did. Uh, tea of tranquility. Well, I don't think. I'm yeah, afraid. it has like gingerbread
1: that's right? like mixed in with like a vanilla it's like a vanilla spiced ice cream yeah that sounds mm-hmm. awesome it sounds, it sounds it nice before you go tion I, I i just have to say that I do drink caffeine I just don't drink coffee
3: oh. Oh, sorry, no. I, like, pre-workout
1: no, no no yeah it's pre-workout yeah yeah I take it first thing oh, in the morning and go to the gym and after that I can't have caffeine again because there's too much in it to like stack that caffeine it's too much. Uh but coffee it's too bitter for me so I can't
0: I like the I like the bitterness of coffee. I Mm. I drink all my coffee black because I like that taste. Mm.
1: More power to you. I cannot do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now I have an espresso machine at home. Okay. Yeah. It also goes back to just like, well, now it's just economical. I'm not necessarily cheap because I do spend money on good beans in an espresso machine. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
2: At least you're not paying. like In New York, too, it's probably so hyped up. like The cost for a latte or a coffee, even just a coffee, like a drip coffee or
0: espresso. Right. It's, It's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go with my intro. Hi, everyone. I'm Tian Brooks. Uh, my pronouns are he, I, he, him. And I was educated in linguistics and psychology. That's what I studied in undergrad. And for graduate school, I moved into cognitive neuroscience, focused on psycholinguistics as well. Um, things that I'm computer, confused about this week is that I'm trying to decide how many days I need to stay in New Orleans. Because I recently just booked my second rail pass on the Amtrak and I have 30 days to complete my next travel adventure, and then need to decide if I'm going to be there for five days or seven days, because the connecting train only goes Tuesday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. So it really depends on when I want to leave New Orleans, whether I'm going to be able to connect to the other train. So I'm really confused about the duration of my trip in New Orleans. And my drink of choice is not the drink that I'm drinking now, which is just like regular tap water it's usually like carbonated water so i have a soda stream and mm. I, I i have like three different containers that i like meal i say it's my meal prepping because i just like <laughs> go and like make my soda stream every day <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um uh that's no flavors just plain seltzer that that's my drink of choice
2: i love seltzer
0: same, i don't know I love fizzy. Yep, yeah 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 that burn in the back of the throat. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> It gives me life. <laughs> yeah.
2: When do you when do you get to New Orleans? Is it on like a weekend?
0: Uh, let's let me check my calendar now. Uh, I think it's on. The, <laughs> let's Monday, figure this out. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like let me. Yeah. Let's, let's think about it. Break it down. We, got you, we got you. I think the plan is to get to New Orleans on March the thirteenth. So the plan is like, do I leave on the seventeenth, which is a Friday, which means that I'm going to miss the entire weekend, or do I do I leave on oh wait? I, not that Friday, it's the Saturday, but I just mentioned it's only Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, the train leaves. So I could leave mm-hmm. on the Saturday or I have to leave on the 20th. But then I have to go to Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and Tucson by the 29th. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going from New Dang. York. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's New York to D.C., to Charlotte, to Atlanta, to New Orleans, to Houston, to San Antonio, up to Austin back through san antonio to go to tucson then to la to finish oh my gosh yeah didn't you know that was 2.99 but uh sold on amtrak so i had done it uh back in october that was my first one um i paid a full sticker price for 4.99 um but i took the train from new york all the way off to san francisco dang oh (laughs) it was wild (laughs) no you can say
3: what? Oh my god, we gotta get into that. That's like that's Yeah, so I I'll be
0: I'll happily talk about that. It's like if you if you I mean this is gonna be very applicable. If you just need to clear your head and just meet some random strangers on the train, <laughs> I highly recommend that you do the Amtrak during like part of your uh PhD um experience. It'll be re- it'll be rewarding. Also you won't have internet if you're taking a California Zephyr. So you if if you need to write uh or if you need to read this is the way that you force yourself
3: into that situation i like it wow that's very good that's all right then i hacks grad school Thank. <laughs> <hacks, I
2: literally laughs> <know>. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's awesome um okay quick so yeah this season is like centered around people who inspire us and so we thought it would be great to like have you on and kick it off because like when val and i heard you talk at neuro academy we were like I don't know kind of just blown away by like all the stuff that you've done and then your advice was so great and you're so kind um and do so much and so yeah like thank you for being on and also i think we'll ask you a lot of questions and probably a lot about industry stuff but um yeah i don't know well thanks for the invitation
0: <laughs> it's like i'm like heart by like this theme that like i'm invited to be part of that
3: absolutely <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah
2: it's it's cool to see like what you've done with your education and phd and like where you've gone with that afterwards so yeah, yeah, and with that, I think yeah, can like- out of
1: out of respect for for your time, too I think we'll get on into these questions, and uh, we won't keep you too too long. Hopefully, we can uh, pump some info out of you first, though.
2: <laughs> um,
1: so, I, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, everybody has sort of their start and sort of like that aha moment, and uh, I think that sort of happened for at least us three. I'm I'm sure there was a moment for you, but I'm curious to know how did you get really you know, interested in science, and how did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to pursue a PhD?
0: Yeah, uh, I think ever since I was a kid, I've always asked the question why. I think that was probably the most uh, enduring part about me and one of the most annoying parts about me, (laughs) because I just wouldn't let things go. I needed to know, like, how do things work? Like, why do we do the things we do? How are things built? Like, always, always asking questions. Um, I think I really had a passion for math and science. Uh, those are the two subjects that came the easiest to me, uh, like uh English or reading and history those are I I only like later like gained a strong appreciation for them when I got to college but uh science and math they're just like always always just like um very intuitive to me like it just came natural so I I went through like middle school and high school in high school I just took um chemistry physics biology I took like three years of each of those and I really realized like that's probably what I want to do. I had like a physics teacher in high school who had his PhD in nuclear physics. And it was like the first time I like encountered anyone who had ever had a PhD before, That, I, that to my knowledge. Um, and he was teaching our physics class, which is just incredible. Um, and my calculus teacher in junior year, like I had calculus junior year and uh, the second year of calculus, my senior year, like the two of them, they really worked well together. So a lot of the topics they were covering in like my Calc AB class, will be covered in my like physics D class or like um uh yeah the physics class I was taking my junior year. And when I finished um, high school I had decided I really wanted to go into physics. So I was really inspired by um Dr. Osborne and Mrs. Matthews. Um, Mrs. Matthews was calculus teacher and Dr. Osborne was physics teacher. And I started college uh, studying physics and math. And then my first year I was like okay I'm just doing the things that I've always just been good at. But then I realized, like, I don't know if exactly if this is what I want to do because there's the difference between, like, what you're good at and necessarily what, what drives you. And I also didn't know what, like, someone who graduates in physics does with their life afterwards. It's like, it, it just kind of felt like physics is, like, more or less solved. you just like, mm-hmm. like, what do you do? I mean, of course there isn't. I mean, that was, like, my very naive, like, belief. But it was just, like, okay. Um, one of the things that did interest me was language, and it always been that way. And when I, I was mentioning earlier that, like, reading and history and all of those things didn't really take to me as much. And it's mostly because I grew up with like a, like difficulty reading. So essentially it's like probably undiagnosed dyslexia. I still, I'm a very, very slow reader. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is like, I want to understand why that was the case. So I learned that the program at a school that was close to me, I went to NC State my first year, Um, went to UNC Chapel Hill my sophomore year because I saw that they had a linguistics department. And I was really fascinated by linguistics. I was like, okay, it's the study of the language. And I really want to understand, like, how does language work? How do we come to learn language? How do we come to learn to read? And I applied and got into the program. And that really set me on the course to learn more about, like, how does the brain work? And, like, how does the mind work? And how does the uh, language fit in all of this? So I had taken linguistics, decided it was going to be my major. And then I took a psychology of language class. And I was like, whoa, this is dope you can use experimental methods to actually just, like, interrogate questions about the brain related to language. Um, so, uh, that's the way when I dropped uh, math because I had already switched from physics to math, and now I was just studying languages and psychology. And during this time, I was working as a research assistant. At first, I joined a neuroscience research lab, and this was, like, a cell molecular biology lab where we are like, dissecting mics and, like, taking out, like, basal ganglia cells and all of that. Because I thought like that's like the neuroscience I wanted to do. And then I realized that was not the neuroscience I really wanted to do. I really was interested in humans and like understanding, like, how does the mind work? How do people think? Uh, And I gained a great appreciation from just like that lab work. But I had an opportunity to join a reading research lab that was led by my undergrad advisor, uh, Peter Gordon. And that's when I start to really get interested in reading research even more. And then that's pretty much when I figured out i likely had a reading difference my entire life um, because I did a lot of the experiments of uh, trying to understand successful readers or skilled readers from like unskilled readers. And and that's when I realized like, oh, even though like I am exceedingly uh, good at that, I definitely fall into the maybe not great reader category. So that that was interesting. Um, And that really just got me interested in like understanding language and reading much more and that set me up to apply to graduate school so uh that's a very long-winded way uh to describe like how i got interested in science and then i applied to phd programs focused on psycholinguistics like the study of language in the brain through the lens of like psychology experimental psychology and yeah that's awesome and i have a whole like uh phd experience of that later
1: yeah i mean you talked Mm -hmm. us right up to the point where the next question is going to be <laughs> how yeah. uh, if you if you can think back, harken back to your PhD days, um, and sort of can you talk us through some of you know three or so of your biggest hurdles during graduate school? You know, were they academic, social, mental, etc.?
0: Yeah, one of the big hurdles that I have that kind of ties into it all is like the amount of reading you have to do to like get through a PhD. <laughs> so like that that that's always been like a really big struggle. And like the thing is like I kept a lot of this to myself like. It's not often that you hear people like talk about like the things that make them weak. Um, it's just usually like not what we do in our society. So uh, I had I struggled a lot with, with the reading, and one of the great tools that I got uh, during graduate school was an iPad, and it was for the it wasn't for like what most people think of like the iPad, which is like super portable, all of that. But it was the fact that it had um, the functionality that you can highlight text, and you can have it read to you, and it really that that was like transformational. I had this, um, I had this annotation app that allowed for like, um, um, highlighting like large bodies of text and you can just have it read to you. So that really like helped me like get through a lot of the literature and reading. So it became like, like mm-hmm. a fundamental tool. Like I still have an iPad and that I use to this day. And it's, it's for that same purpose. It's like, uh, test the speech. It's like transformative for like me getting through like my PhD program. So like the reading was a, a big challenge. Um, then the other big challenge was uh, like, I really, uh, the other challenge was that I, I realized the type of science that I wanted to do didn't necessarily fall into the category of the type of science that would like get me uh, my degree. So there, there there, are two different types. Okay, the first thing that I did was that I got really interested and involved with open source software development. So I was in, uh, Psycholinguistics lab focused on the reading. And what we did a lot, we did a lot of like MEG um, recordings. So, for those who don't know, MEG stands for magnetoencephalography. We can measure magnetic field changes that come from the brain. And it's like EEG, which is the electrodes that you have on your scalp. But we put you in this machine uh, that's called a doer. Um, we put your head in the doer where we uh, get the sensors to measure these very, very small magnetic field changes. And it's a pretty neat technique. Uh, but it's also not a very common one because um, a lot of labs use MRI. MRI is a much more popular uh, modality, um, but they work on different timescales. MEG works on like millisecond resolution, um, whereas MRI uh, it focuses on the hemodynamic response.
3: I don't know, like how how nerdy is this? Uh, <laughs> Do people understand this? Or like, no, we're educated but confused, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think
2: it's like. Honestly, I don't even think we know. I think it's a lot of grad students, though. So I think okay, we are cool. it's a pretty nerdy crowd.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. So, uh, okay, hemodynamic response uh, over, what, say, a six-second window. So we're looking at things in a very different time scale. We're looking at seconds with MRI, and we're looking at millisecond resolution with MEG. So um, uh, the number of MEG systems are in the ones of hundreds. So maybe there's, like, two, three hundred machines out there in the world. Maybe a bit more, but not more than, like, say, a thousand. Uh that's my rough wow. estimate. Uh someone can fat check me later, but I'm pretty sure that that's <laughs> still in the realm. Um because the machines themselves are about the same cost of an MRI, um, and the same maintenance cost, but um it doesn't give you the image resolution, which people are more interested in, especially in like the medical field. So if you have an MRI, you can say, Hey, I want to do research with this. Or you can be like, Hey, I, I want to see if someone's leg is broken. <laughs> so if you have a machine that can do both versus like, oh, I want to just do research. The hospital that usually has a budget for this is going to buy one more than the other so that's why um mri is more common you do get decent spatial resolution with uh MEG. we'll talk about that later uh, but it's not as good as an mri so okay this um i got distracted um M- meg so i started working on this machine it's more bespoke there are fewer people who've worked on it there are fewer software packages that have been built for it and for this type of analysis so in my research lab one of the things that we were doing is like doing all of this brain analysis from MEG, but the technique, um, like the data analysis technique hadn't really been worked upon in a while. There was just like a list of like different like bash commands that you would want to write, which would like convert your data. into you want for file format, and then it goes to another file format. And that whole process itself could take like an hour to an hour and a half, which is just like not super efficient with like your time. And I was like, There must be an easier way to deal with this because if I need to collect like 40 subjects and for each file, it's going to be an hour to an hour and a half. That's just going to be a lot of time of processing, just waiting before you even do your pre-processing stuff. This isn't even me like filtering my data or doing anything like that. That's just me getting the file into a format that I can open later in a different software. So I ended up working on uh, developing um, software that allowed for us to read the file directly. And that was pretty neat. and we went from like an hour, an hour and a half to just being able to access the file in a few seconds, which is just wow. like transformative. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, this is really cool. This is like the type of stuff I want to want going to work on. Like all the method stuff and like the software and the, that's the that's the cool part. But a lot of programs, like psychology programs, have a focus more on the novel research aspect that goes along say if you're in a cognitive neuroscience within, like within my cognition and perception like those fundamental areas and like the tool building the software uh, engineering the uh ecosystem that supports that doesn't get the same spotlight or uh same academic credit. so even though i was on one of the papers for the software so it's md python if you're looking for data analysis package for MEG data or EEG data, and now FNIRS data, and soon eye tracking data, you can follow along on the GitHub. Uh, There's an open pull request for that. Um, (laughs) 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 I'm not here pitching. (laughs) This (laughs) written in Python, pure Python, yeah.
2: This is great, we use eye tracking in our lab, so.
0: Okay, yeah, so it's it's an SR research, it's an iLink, or is it a Tobii? We, it's
2: sitting in an office and we okay. haven't used it yet. So I, I don't know, okay. but I, this is good <laughs> just like for the future. Cause it will come up at okay, some
0: point. Yeah. So <laughs> we can chat up about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, so I worked on this type of software. So this is more like team science. I'm working with other uh, scientists around the world. We're building tools that are for the benefit of all scientists. And I'm like, that's the type of science I want to do. Um, but that's not necessarily the science that's going to give me my degree. So that was another like, uh, obstacle that I faced it. If they, during like my phd is like trying to balance what i w- want to do and the things that i feel i can have a great impact to to the things that i need to satisfy the requirements and sometimes they can be aligned sometimes they can be misaligned um and it's about trying to find a balance between the two i don't think it was until um the the paper came out and like the broader department just saw the value of like the software we were building it's like oh there are thousands of people who are using it did they actually start to see like okay this isn't just like a side project that they're working on to distract them from like their real their their real science but this is science in itself and it's not just like my particular department this is like a general science thing we're starting to see this just what with open science and open science has been a big movement for like how do you share your data how do you uh, share your code? How do you share share all the things that scientists are able to um, benefit from? Uh, so it was just more of just like a symptom of the time. Um, and hopefully things have improved. So that's two. Okay. And the third thing was <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> uh, third obstacle. Okay. Uh, for me is that I, I, shiny objects are the things that like often just capture my attention. So I would say the third obstacle is like actually completing things. I, I so I'd I like to get involved with lots and lots of different things. Um, but it's also very useful, which I've learned. Um, uh, and it was a uh, growing pain of uh, being able to actually complete things. There is value in like starting and finishing things. And I think that that was an obstacle that was very hard for me to really wrap my head around. Um, because Who doesn't want to be involved with like lots of different things that are super cool? And I, I have FOMO about science. I want to do it all. Uh, So that's one of the obstacles that I uh, that I face.
2: Oh my gosh, so relatable. Yeah. Yeah. How did you uh stop getting distracted by other things? Were you just like discipline? Like I have to just say no and asking for a friend do this thing. Yeah, Yeah. asking for a friend.
0: Well, I I wanted to graduate. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> I had got I had uh, gotten a fellowship um in my sixth year of my PhD, um, which to was to work on open science. And I could talk about this more. It was through Mozilla. And it actually is a, a the segue of me like leading to an industry job. Um well, it was this perfect bridge. Uh Mozilla the Mozilla Foundation was sponsoring um four fellowship opportunities. Um in the cohort for scientists who are interested in like changing the landscape of science within their field. Uh, so one of the things that I really wanted to work on and that I did work on was, uh, a project that's called BIDS. So BIDS stands for the Brain Imaging Data Structure. Um, so I had gotten involved with this project because I really wanted to, I had, well, I, I, I really get passionate about like data formatting and data standards and I will be the one who like <laughs> will uh the hill that I will die on is whether there should be an underscore or a hyphen in a particular location for a file So <laughs> I got involved when I saw like the the call for a comment. Um I gone out for it. And that that ended up being one of my projects that I worked on. Uh we actually finished the MEG um specification for the brain imaging data structure and that Actually got um accepted and merged into the broader BIDS project. So uh this is this was me working more in like neuroinformatics. It's like how do we organize all of the brain imaging data so that it's unified and reliably named and can be accessed by any lab. So this is like, hey, here's this research project I have. If it's bids compliant, that means anyone can just like grab it and access it and don't really need to talk to the original authors because it's in a way that should be understood so mm-hmm. uh, we did that for imaging data and that was super cool so i got this fellowship um through mozilla to work on that and i still needed to submit my dissertation <laughs> so this is, this is yeah so i'm like i'm involved with this other project and like there's all of these other things i want to work on but i need to finish my dissertation so uh i it basically just like forced myself to just like sit down and write it um so it's, it's not like I have a, a perfect answer. It's like the only way that I could like really like move on to the things that I wanted to do next was to finish <laughs> the thing that was keeping me from doing so. So <laughs> I was kind of forced into it, <laughs> Um okay. which I, I'm, I'm happy yeah. is, is like the constraints are like it really like forced me to realize I need to prioritize things. Um mm. And that's always just been a difficult thing for me because mm. as a graduate
3: student, you have the luxury of a lot of time. <laughs> Yeah, not enough of it, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But Tiana, I think this is a perfect segue to this uh, next kind of topic. You brushed upon it a little bit, but we want to unveil today. What is industry? It's kind of a buzzword for us young academics, first and second years. We always hear this debate, industry, academia, but can you break it down for us in a digestible way for um, academics and um, why choose industry over academia? That's the big question.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I would say. Industry is really private sector work. It it gets all of the the buzz of, like, industry. There's also a TV show called Industry, but that's a different industry. Um, (laughs) It's it's a great show, just a different industry that we're going to talk about, but I do highly recommend it. Um, So uh, what we typically refer to as industry tends to be tech or, like, tech adjacent or jobs that are just, like, working at a company, like a privately held company or publicly traded company. Uh, Because you, you have, like, academia, uh, you have academia or academic research or academic institutions, which is uh, in its own category. And then you have industry and then you also have public sector work, which is like working for your local government and uh, NGO or any nonprofit space. So those are like the big swath of like industries. There's the academic um, institute, private sector and then public sector. So I I left from my fellowship that I had with uh, Mozilla and then actually got a job at Mozilla Corporation. So the Mozilla Foundation owns the Mozilla Corporation, this side side note for anyone who's really interested, it's an interesting structure. Um, This was back when uh, companies really wanted to like, make sure that the mission of their, like say nonprofit is guiding the for-profit entity. So that's Mm -hmm. why Mozilla is structured that way. You'll see this with Public Benefit Corporation, which is a separate entity that comes out later uh, I can nerd out on that with you, but this is the <laughs> thing. Mozilla Foundation is like a hundred people and their focus now is on, uh, and has been for a while. It's like making sure that there's a healthier web. And now they are focused primarily on responsible computing and responsible AI and machine learning. Uh, That's awesome. Mozilla. Yeah, this is really cool. Uh, so they have a fellowship or they had a fellowship. They still do have fellowships, but the fellowship that they had at the time was specifically for open science. So. I was part of a cohort of uh, fellows who was selected to spend ten months on changing the landscape of science in different ways that we could. Um, so that was this nice transition point because I was being funded to work on this project by an entity that wasn't an academic institute. So that was kind of me like dipping my toe into the water of what, what is outside of the the ivory tower and. Uh, it was really cool because it gave me like 10 months to really work on uh interesting projects and travel the world um can talk more about that in a bit but to answer your question about industry so a lot of academics uh or former academics have moved into the quote unquote industry space and this tends to be a lot of like say software engineering roles or data science roles. data science being a really big uh uh career opportunity move for uh phds who move into industry where their background necessarily is not computer science so so say you have a quantitative background so you've worked in say neuroscience or you've done quantitative social science like you've done a lot of like i you pulled the twitter api which will be charging you starting next monday or uh, I don't know what date that this is going to be aired, but soon uh, in, <laughs> in the future, Twitter is going to charge for the API. Uh, but imagine you're okay. uh, a social scientist who was using that. Um, being able to analyze large amounts of data gives you this skill that is actually quite valued in industry. So uh, you may get a job as a quantitative user researcher or as a data scientist. There are many many roles that uh, uh, are afforded to you if you've uh, gone through this. Uh, PhD process so uh, all that to say is that industry has become a nice landing space outside of academic research for uh, the growing number of people who realize that there aren't that many academic jobs after you finish your PhD mm-hmm. and we've we've known for a while and there's the, the research that just shows the number of, like say tenure track uh positions at universities have just like gone down especially over like the past 40 50 years um and postdocs are getting longer and longer um and there are also people who may just not be interested in doing research so uh or research in the same capacity that they're doing in the past so I, i i i i don't think that there's anything uh wrong with staying in an academic career but I don't think there's anything wrong with leaving an academic career if it's not the thing you're interested in. Um, mm-hmm. So what I've noticed now is that upon in finishing the PhD, uh, if you realize that you don't want to continue into like a tenure track or a, like the tenure track role, that it tends to be that uh, individuals just move on to quote unquote industry. And mm-hmm. we can unpack that more later for now. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yeah. so I, I'm
2: sorry, no, no, go for it.
3: Uh, yeah. I just wanted since you've kind of worked in both sides, um, what's like the day-to-day of an industry versus academic? Is it that different? Is it still like, you know, multiple projects, multiple meetings, like what is the day-to-day like? Yeah, like? <laughs> I'll give the experience for data science. So, excuse me, after I finished
0: my fellowship with Mozilla, I then applied for a job at Mozilla. The corporation side and I worked as a data scientist uh for uh four years and then moved into product management. But um the day to day for data scientists is that um you wake up, um uh, I, I would start like the hours are a bit more flexible and it really depends on the teams that you're working with. So there isn't the rigidity of like say nine to five. Um I tend to my hours of working I tend to start at 10 um mm-hmm. and finish around like say between four and six, roughly. Um, If uh, I look through what my meeting agenda is, uh, there's usually say a data science um, ask that's been um, you've selected to work on. So typically say a product manager is working on a new feature for a product and they really want to get some insights to how users are already using an existing product or say they want to run an experiment and they want to see, okay, if we change this button, or we change the color, or we add this new feature. Uh, what's the likelihood of someone clicking or interacting or doing something with it? So mm-hmm. uh, this is the classic like A-B test or so A-B design that um, a lot of experimentation takes. So uh, what thing you do, you either are designing the experiment. Uh, so that would be what your day is, or you would be analyzing that experiment. So that means just gathering the data um, from wherever the data or stored. So that's usually like, okay, I'm going to write some SQL and I'm going to hit up the database and now have like a a, a blob of data that I need to do some analysis on. Um, Mm -hmm. and then say the typical, uh, pathway is like you do the analysis, you write up a report, you have some figures there, you do write an executive summary. It's like, okay, what's the big takeaway? Here's a figure to understand that. And then you can have the long report where you can talk about like all the caveats, all of the, all of the things to be aware of. Um, and then you end up meeting with the stakeholder, the one who asked for it, usually a product manager, or say it could be someone from user research, or um, say if you're working with the finance team or something like that. Um, and then you just meet to like share out what that report is. So that's typically the day. Yeah, you know, There are meetings that you attend, so there's some talks that say someone can talk, or you go uh, to a reading, uh, uh, like say you're part of a reading group, you meet up with that. So typically it's like, do some analysis, you write up a report, you get a sense of what other other things that might need to be done. But the, that's pretty much the, the day in the life of a data scientist. Like a lot of the time is that you are thinking through a lot of the questions. Because they're like, okay, how do I even design this experiment? Or how do I even understand what is going on? So, or you get asked the question, like there's like, there's really weird spike in the data. Do you know what happens? Like, why do we have like, a hundred times the number of users in China right now versus what we did last week and that would be where you just like put in your investigator hat and you go and try to figure out why do (laughs) you see that yeah that's so cool well thank
3: you for breaking it down I never heard it doing like that so
2: I have like two kind of questions but I think that I because we're running out of time but I want to ask about the stability of industry in like comparing ah, to academia and how, yeah. and because, yeah, I don't know when we'll air this, like laugh is that all the if time- If
0: like three months ago, it would be a very different answer than now.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> didn't you just like start your own company or something?
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, So <laughs> I have a nonprofit that I've been like working on for a while, um, okay. which will you probably see, but it's also mostly because I got laid off in October. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yeah. so it's like, Ugh. so I've at Mozilla for around five years and then, I went and joined a startup. Startup was really cool. Um, they make a training platform for people who are interested in getting better at first-person shooters. So I was leading their research and development team. I was there for five months. Then uh, word on the street is just that like investors, the so VC investors. So um, a lot of like startups are funded by uh, venture capital funds. So like large amounts of infused cash to like get your product out the door to see if you have customers and start bringing in your own money. So it's like. Hey, you ask for money, they give you a lot of money, then you have to do something with the money. Um, But then investors started to get worried because they're like, oh, the looming recession that we all hear about uh, made them get very conservative about their investment portfolio. So they're like, hey, we want you to show some fiscal responsibility and start to tighten that budget of yours. And that's when people start getting fired. So my team uh, survived the first round of layoffs. The second round was not so forgiving. And all of the research and development team uh, members were kindly asked to leave. So that's, that's the current state of things. So, uh, for me in particular, luckily I'm very fortunate that over the past, say, five years of working in tech, I was able to save money to set aside for a rainy day. And I'm taking this as a chance to have an adult gap year. So I'm, I'm currently. Not employed and I am currently working on a lot of projects that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I'm going to do a lot of travel over the next couple of months. Uh, and that's mostly because I got to a point where I was like, definitely burnt out. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah. like going through the PhD directly into a full time, uh, job for the past like five years didn't really like, even though I had vacation days which i advocate that everyone should always take all their vacation days uh <laughs> afforded to them plus more um because <laughs> it's, it's super necessary uh i got to a point where it's like i just couldn't work anymore um like mentally i just was was completely burnt out so um do that to your uh point so then so that happened that was like in october and then we just started seeing in november and december and january and now many more thousands of people uh meeting a similar fate that the startup uh, also uh, brought forth for me and my team. So six months ago, twelve months ago, I'd be like, "Yeah, tech is super solid, and there <laughs> is a lot of stability because there's just gains." And the thing thats the interesting thing about tech, and I'm talking about tech in general, there's the, the in- industry. Whatever we think of industry, it's much yeah. bigger than tech, but tech makes up a large portion of it. Um, mm-hmm. But tech has been growing like year after year, and they still had. Profits. It's not that they didn't make money. They made a lot of money. They just are now restructuring, and there are many. Uh, it's unclear why, but it, it ends up being um, beneficial to shareholders and not necessarily to employees. So I'm all for unions, and there should be more tech unions. Uh, there should just be more unions in general because the workers need to have, like, organizing power. So more power to the people. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah um, there, you can, there's still a lot of jobs and the skills that you have as a technologist will be valued at another company that may not be one of the large tech firms, which will end up hiring again at some point. Um, but there's like opportunities within banks, within the uh, city government, within the federal government. The federal government has a program called the U.S. Digital Service, which is a way for technologists to do what they call a tour service with the federal government you get if you were selected you can do like a rotation up to two years or four years someone can up to a certain number of years uh with the federal government and you can um say end up working at medicaid medicare or you could be working stationed at the state department or you could be stationed at the va and you could be the data scientists are like okay let me help Uh, let me learn what are all the types of concerns and how can I be of service to this party? So it's a way of combining, mm-hmm. say, private sector or industry with, say, the federal government. And there's like, a uh, mutually beneficial, um, and mutually, uh, mutual benefit for both parties. You get to learn how government works and government gets to understand how, uh, private sector does things. So. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, there, I, I, I think that industries it provides well there's always the 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 there's the belief that academia provides the greatest ability because of the tenure uh like tenured uh faculty yeah. positions but we also see that the majority of like academic positions are non-tenured so they used to have the okay. type of like say job insecurity especially if you're in the us and this is the us in particular because we're like all at will employees so that means you can get fired whenever your employer decides to except in the case of like tenure where there's like a review process but uh, that being said um yeah uh there's instability everywhere <laughs>
2: yeah yeah for sure yeah i like okay so we're kind of out of time so i don't want to hold you too much longer
0: i don't mind like this is my i, I mean i don't know how this is going to be edited or whatever but yeah i to stay on a little longer i i yeah i kind of ramble also kind of my
3: style (laughs) it's like so
2: good i think it's perfect
3: for this gold nuggets as you yeah
2: (laughs) i think like my my like last question i guess that i have for you based off of this is like you know i feel like the debate of like academia versus industry and like if you go into academia then like you keep following like what you're passionate about like why you did research and blah 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 and then if you go into industry it's like oh you sold your soul and you like just want money and (laughs) you know like to a degree, like money is nice. And yeah, if you leave, like you get money. <laughs> or you could. Yeah. yeah. Um, but do you feel like in your experience that you've had to like give up like what you're passionate about or have like do you feel like you've lost any of that or do you still feel fulfilled like not just financially, but like I don't know, like you enjoy what you're doing and you feel like you're doing something purposeful. Even mm-hmm. though right now, yeah, I don't know. I mean now you get to travel around and stuff, which sounds like a dream and so nice. Yeah. I'm happy yeah. that you get to do that.
0: Yeah, I would say both are jobs. Um, at the end of the day, someone's gonna pay you. Um, the pay is yeah. different. Uh industry tends to pay more. Uh you can just that's just just a, a fact. Um uh there is a sense of like science as a vocation, and it's really great when your job and your vocation can both be aligned, um, which is where like some people who have like academic positions are like uh in a fortunate position where they can both pursue their research passions that go along with the job that pays them. Um, and I would say, I the thing that I don't do anymore is neuroscience, because I'm not doing neuroscience research. But I have been involved with like a lot of neuroscience projects. Um, and that's mostly because like even though my primary job is as a data scientist, I still am passionate about, say, neuroscience in the brain. So I have set time aside from my schedule where I've worked on project either in a volunteer capacity or as a contractor or things like that mostly to stay involved with those projects so it's like you can still do those things it's just like where do you want to prioritize your time um my mm-hmm. primary job pays me so I have to spend time doing that so then the other things are not as prioritized whereas if I were in an academic role it's like yes you may be doing the type of research you're doing but Academic roles also come with responsibilities that you may not have known that you were going to do. You are now becoming a manager. So most academic roles, if you are an assistant, oh, if you're a professor, is that you're running a research program. And that means that you are hiring someone who's gonna do the day-to-day management of your life. You are uh, managing graduate students, you are on committees, and you are applying for grants. So those are like many different things than just doing the research. Um, that you may have gone into thinking you're going to do it comes with other responsibilities, unless you're hired as like a staff scientist, um, which our roles they're just not as many. And I think that there should be more there should be more staff science roles at universities. Point blank, like PhDs who are skilled, who can work on the research, who have the security and um, financial backing. I think that's what that's where a lot of like academic roles can be like across between like the things that industry offer which is like, uh, get to work on a project. So like the thing is like, uh, I'll veer off into industry. There are people who work in industry who are able to do the type of research that they have been doing in their PhD. Uh, So this happens a lot for those who did machine learning research or those who are doing like computer vision. I mean, Facebook, now Meta, has uh, the Meta Reality Lab and they have a whole like like a neuro, I forgot what they're called. There's a whole team of like, people who worked on like uh, brain-computer interfaces that uh, are a lot of my colleagues who like, we worked on the same software together, am Python, if you're still looking for a software package for D and e data. So uh, a lot of them are now working at uh, Meta Reality Labs because that's like the application of a lot of like brain-computer interface. There's Cause uh, Meta acquired a company called Control Labs. So that that's like a whole thing. Um, so there are like ways that you can actually try to tie the research that you're interested in with the industry um where you could be satisfied with both i have a friend who did his phd in biochemistry and he works for drug ph- he works in pharma and he does like the type of re- like there's some fields where like chemists just like summarily leave like academic uh research and go work at like big pharma or a petrochemical company because that's just what you use your phd for you go do research in the industry uh every the every discipline just have a different um a different approach to like how they see the relationship between uh, staying at the university to do research versus doing it in industry. And some it's just more afforded to be in one space than another. There hasn't been many applications to like neuroscience research. So that's why you don't see a lot of industry roles for it because the research hasn't just translated to like those opportunities. Um, so yeah, uh forgot what the original question was. It's-
2: I think you kind of answered it. It was like, yeah, like it was just like, have you been able to find like work oh, that you're yeah. passionate about?
0: Yeah. Um, so even though I don't do, oh yeah, that's the point that I want to make. Even though I don't do neuroscience research anymore, I I also had interest in a lot of other things. So like, yeah. I, I generally just like tech, like, I, like I'm, I'm a big tech geek. Uh, being able to work at a tech company when I was in Mozilla, I got to just like see a lot of different things. And then I also got exposed to a lot of things that I didn't even know I was passionate about or interested in. And then now I am. So it's like learning how the web works. I think that's fascinating. It's like I now know how to like build my own websites. So I'm learning like all of these different like web frameworks and tools for like building things. And I wouldn't have come across that if I had just only done neuroscience research. So for me, it gave me the opportunity to just like explore other things I might be interested in. And even though it's not neuroscience per se, um I mean, it's not neuroscience at all. It's not even just per se. It's like, I'm not doing neuroscience anymore. I'm just doing something completely different. And I really like it too. So, yeah.
2: Well, that's awesome. I feel like it is like, yeah, there's just stages of interest too that naturally happen. Cause,
3: yeah,
2: I felt that happening to me as well in different ways. Like, I don't know, like I do neuroimaging stuff. And then because of that, I'm like seeing all these other like, like software packages and figuring out stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is fun to figure out and tinker with and yeah. learn how this works. And, then it's like a rabbit hole, all of that stuff, and getting excited about it, and so, yeah,
0: I don't I will, know, I it does, it changes. One, one thing about this is that, like, there has just been a need to upskill a lot of, like, uh, um, PhD programs in terms of, like, software development skills that are needed, both for um, graduate students doing their work, and for researchers who want to continue an academic career, or if they want to go into industry. I feel like, you fundamentally just need to know how to write in a scripting language that be Python or R or whatever it is, Julia, but you need to be able to be, you need to be able to express the thing that you want to do in a programmatic language. And that would be beneficial if you stay in academic research or if you go to industry, but highly valued if you go into industry. (laughs) So like, there are a lot of things that like, you don't have to have like the great divide of like, academia and industry, there are a lot of like overlapping skills for both of them that I think really need to be like institutionalized, like in the program. So yeah. take as many like programming class or learn as much as you can, because it doesn't necessarily need to come from a class, but you do need that skill.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Like, I think that's such a good point that I didn't realize until really this summer in like in our academy, And then I got involved with like repron and like reproducible neuroimaging stuff too. Mm-hmm. And just like seeing how how much overlap there is and like, it doesn't have to be one or the other, like you can play in both like when yeah. in working this line because it has applications to both. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, that's like the end of my questions. Yeah. Uh,
1: we've covered a lot. We've really gone through the whole gambit here. Um, I think, you know, one of the ways we really like to leave off these things, you know, is um, just asking, is there anything that you'd like to leave listeners with? Is there, you know, a current project that you'd like to plug some sort of Final philosophical proclamation, anything that we <laughs> haven't asked you that you'd really like to mention now.
0: Mm, wow, that's really tough. I mean, I've been at ME Python all night. So check it out. This is great though, because
2: actually, like, my, I don't know, like, there's someone I was talking with and she analyzes EEG data. And I was like, there is like an open source like package and I yeah. can't remember what it is. And that's what it is. And so I'm like, okay, I need to like tell her.
1: Well, it's oh. helpful to me too. I do EEG stuff.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh yeah. yeah, I analyze
1: sleep. So I, I mean I'm looking at EEG oh. over a course of eight hours. So it's kind of nice to have something Ooh. that works open
0: yeah. source. Yeah. Mine.tools, uh that's the website for the main <laughs> project. So um there are a lot of different resources within like the ME ecosystem. Um but ME.tools so, will like take you to ME Python. That's what uh one thing that plus it also um it works across like if you had started an EEG lab and you want to read the data from EEG lab into mne Python. You can. So, um, it's all about trying to just build a tool in Python and it's, it's written in Python, um, that is, uh, friendly and easy to use and follows a lot of like good software principles. Um, so that's a project that I'll plug. The bigger philosophical, um, I, I would just say, I, I don't know if I have any grand statements, but one of the things that I really am fortunate for in grad school, one is the ability to tinker and to ask questions and to spend that time just like really figuring out. Um, uh, to, 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 uh, let me think. Let me rephrase this. So I spent a lot of time in graduate school just like tinkering around, figuring out a lot of things. And uh, being able to do that exploration really led me to where I am now. Um, there are projects that are like what some people refer to as their DPP, the Dissertation Procrastination Project. And like, <laughs> it's very useful to have one. And then it, you can also, like, it could lead you to your, like, in next career. Um, uh, there are a few that I worked on. One was uh, building um, with one of my friends. It it was a web-based tool to uh, connect, like, open-source hardware and just, like, really cheap electronic. So we were doing a lot of EEG studies. So we worked on this project to connect to, say, a Muse headset, stream the data, into our app that we built. And then we used one of the web-based experiment uh, presentation tools. At the time, we were using JS Psych, which is a, a cool library if you're looking for uh, running experiments. And then we've migrated to another one that's called LabJS. They're both great. Uh, uh, just two different developer communities. They're doing some really cool um, experiment presentation software. Um, and it allows for you to run state ERP studies um, all in one place. So we wanted to, uh, uh, we, we were really curious about this one research question and um, we wanted to see how can we do it in a very cheap and reproducible way. So we built this project that was called Open EXP, which is for open experiment. And it was our first proof of concept. And then that turned into the basis of a research grant that ran out of NYU that was led by one of my friends, Ido, where I helped work on the software part with uh, a developer named Dano, which is called Brainwave. So BrainWave is an all-inclusive app that allows for you to connect to an EEG device, and then you can run an experiment, and you can do all your analysis all in one place. So, created this like uh, really cool app that allows for you to do a lot of things. Um, so, that was a dissertation procrastination project, and that led to, like a five-year grant that one of my colleagues ended up uh, working on that helped him um with the software for. So uh stay curious. Let your mind just like lead you into unknown and uncharted areas. Like that's where like really cool and innovative
3: shit happens.
2: Oh my God. What a what a great way to end.
3: (laughs) You you truly are an inspiration. That's your word. (laughs) Well thank you.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and like answering all of our questions and being on. It's awesome to have you.
0: Well, thanks for having me on. This was such a delight, and it was nice to chat with you all. And yeah, uh, if you have any questions, I'm on the internet. Boats, Tion uh, <laughs> Brooks. You can find me on Twitter if Twitter is still around. I'm um, <laughs> <at laughs> Brooks. Or you can find me on my website, Tionbrooks.com. Awesome.
3: awesome. All nice right. Thank you one
1: last time, Tion. We appreciate you and take care of yourself.
3: You didn't like that triple berry breezer? <laughs>